honest, be a person of integrity, put in a full day's work for full day's pay, walk the talk, do what you say you will do, follow through, bring sin into the light before it becomes a problem. Keep learning from others and be patient. Hi, friends. It's Jaden here. Welcome to this week's episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Recently, our team spent some time in sunny Calgary, Alberta, and we had the privilege of sitting down with two pastors in the area for some interviews. The first we've shared already with Jesta Sabatino from Journey Church, and today we get to share our conversation with Dr. Henry Shore. If you don't know Henry, he is the lead pastor of Center Street Church, an incredible resourcing church that's been serving Calgary since 1958. And Henry has been leading at Center Street for 43 of those years, six of them as the youth pastor and the 37 years since as the senior pastor. And to give a bit of context on Center Street, they are a generous church with five different locations inside and outside of Calgary. And I say generous very intentionally. Henry and the team at Center Street made an important decision fairly early on to be a community known for giving much away. To name a few figures, Center Street has helped support over 200 churches and church plants. And on a monthly basis today, they are serving and supporting over 3,000 people through their compassion ministry. And while Center Street is a community known now for their service to the people of Calgary and their resourcing of the Canadian and global church, that wasn't always their story. Henry shares in the conversation that just a few decades ago in 1986, the church was experiencing real attrition and disengagement. And it was actually under Henry's leadership that the church moved into a thriving season that they are still in today. In addition to sharing the incredible story of this church, Henry touches on a number of different themes in the conversation, like the role prayer played in Center Street's growth in the late 1980s, where the generous heartbeat of the church comes from. Henry talked about his wife and boys and his integrated view of mission and family. Jason also had Henry share his reflections on being in the pastorate in one place for over four decades and what he's been able to uniquely witness over those many years. And in the last 10 minutes or so of the conversation, we have one of my favorite portions where Henry goes on this beautiful run, sharing bite-sized pieces of wisdom for young pastors who are just starting out in their ministry journeys. Jason and I were so thankful to have the chance to be welcomed into Center Street to sit down in Henry's office to record this conversation and to witness firsthand the humility and wisdom of this incredible leader and faithful follower of Jesus. We hope all of Henry's learnings, insights, and reflections serve to encourage you today. Now, before we jump in, we want to take a moment to highlight the incredible work our friends at World Vision are doing. Then we'll go right in with Henry and Jason. You might know World Vision for their work in child sponsorship, but did you know that they are currently serving in a hundred countries and reaching over 6.6 million people in the world's most dangerous and fragile regions? World Vision for more than 70 years has embraced the vision to take action for every child. Most recently, their workers on the ground in Turkey and Syria, who have been there since 2011, have been responding to what's been the strongest earthquake in that region in over a century. They're distributing heating and food supplies to shelters alongside tents, 
mattresses, tarps, heaters, and ready-to-eat food. Last year, they responded to the Ukraine crisis as well and continue to serve over 650,000 people and 250,000 children impacted by the war there. And here's why this matters and why our team at CCLN loves the work of organizations like World Vision. We want churches in Canada to be connected to the needs of people around our world. And we believe your church, through a partnership with World Vision, can be meaningfully engaged in the work of the global church to serve children and vulnerable people. So we wanna connect you to Chris from the World Vision team. Chris is the national manager for church engagement and would love to grab virtual coffee with you. You can get in touch with him using the link in our episode description or by visiting worldvision.ca slash churches to connect with your local World Vision church advisor in person. If your church wants to feel prepared when crises happen, we know the team at World Vision is one of the best partners to have for your church. So please reach out to our friend Chris to learn more. Well, Henry, thanks for having me in your office. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. How long have you been in this office? In this particular office, um, just nearly 20 years uh, at this office. Because one of the things I admire about you a ton is your longevity at Center Street. I don't know if there is an award for the pastor in one church <laughs> the longest, but you'd be a good contender for it. Yeah, yeah I've been here now. Uh, you know, We just celebrate our 40th anniversary. So mm. started when I was just uh, a young buck. Yep. So. And if I understand the story right, you came on as youth pastor? As youth pastor. What year was that? That was in 1981. Wow. And then how many years later till you became in that senior role? Uh, five years later, wow. uh, became senior pastor, a very uh, reluctantly, um, but felt that's, that's what God was calling me to do. Mm. Yeah. Tell me more about the sense of being reluctant in that. Yeah. You know, the, um, our church, um, was not doing well at the time, okay. uh, in the, uh, our youth ministry was going well, our young adult ministry was going well. Uh, and they were probably about half the church. The church was maybe 275 people. Mm. And, um, but um, the, the adult um, uh, group of our church, um, um, I think they were, um, they were weary um, mm. and some people were leaving the church. Um, people were just not willing to volunteer anymore. There was just something wrong. Mm. And uh, I remember, um, you know, our lay elders um, meeting uh, on a Saturday morning and uh, one of them, uh, as we had a time of sharing, just began to cry. And uh, he announced to us that um, uh, one, of, uh, one of his family members um, uh, had indicated they were leaving the church as well and just mm -hmm. broke his heart. And then he just kind of cried out and said, what is wrong with our church? And um, one of the other um, elders said, uh, we need to pray. Mm. We need to commit ourselves to praying for our church. Uh, we've tried everything and we need to pray. And that was when I was still a youth pastor when that took place. Um, shortly thereafter, the senior pastor resigned. And um, 
uh, and within a short while, they asked me to consider stepping into the role of senior pastor. And yeah, so it, there was a reluctance because I knew our church was going through a season, a very difficult season. People were um, were not in a good space. And uh, the only thing that, you know, that sort of gave me at least that human part of confidence to do this was, um, was our youth and our, our young adults um, who were pretty fired up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I, I stepped into the role, um, you know, um, with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, obviously uh, it was something that I also sensed God calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I just knew I had to yeah. and step out and do it. And back then you couldn't have imagined, you know, like what would happen in these decades. But it's pretty amazing. I mean, um, Center Street is a church that, I've been able to watch from a distance as just sort of one of the many bright spots in the landscape where it's like, wow, look what God is doing there. And uh, contribution to missions, pioneering multi-site and different expressions of ministry. And I mean, on a deeply personal level, I don't even know if you know, like when we were even setting up to church plant, like Center Street was one of the first people to invest in our church plant, give a gift that helped us get started. And uh, I think there's probably hundreds of ministries and churches that would say, yeah, I've been strengthened by the work of Center Street. And so I, it's, I know it's a long story, but I'd love for you just to take us through some of the chapters because this is obviously in some ways the same church, some of the same DNA, that culture of prayer you mentioned that happened that season, I know is still at the heartbeat of this church, but a church evolves and changes and matures and takes on new seasons of life. So I'd love to know some of the chapters or some of the pictures of that journey. And maybe along the way, we can pause and draw out some of what was happening in you as a leader and a pastor in those seasons. Yeah, the um, in 2007, I sat down, actually, uh, I, I wrote a little bit of the history of what we'd gone through up to that point in time. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and at that time, I uh, I sort of identified three eras that we went through. Um, I called them the era of grounding, the era of growth, and the era of generosity. Mm-hmm. And it's not like one ended and the other one began. You know, those those factors just continued. But it was a there was a there was a bit of a change that began to happen mm-hmm. in those areas. And I um, and so in the area era of grounding, um, you know, just to go back to this this time when we were, um, you know, our church just was really hurting and was not doing well. Um, the, uh, uh, after, after I took on the role of senior pastor, um, it just seemed like um, um, I didn't know where to start. Hmm. And uh, the first, you know, the thing that I, I really felt in my spirit we needed to do was to begin to pray. And so um, I began to meet with people in their homes um, and just kind of find out where they were at, uh, ask them to, and, and, you know, I mean, talked a little bit about what I saw the scriptures say the church should be and so forth. But at the end, I just said, would you join me in praying? Mm. Would you just join me in praying about this? And... Um, and so they, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of promised that they would do that. And the interesting thing that began to happen is many of those people 
began to come out of the woodwork, as it were, and began to say, where can I, where can I engage? Mm. There was a transformation that happened even there already. Um, because, like I said, I can remember sitting on my the kitchen floor at home, phoning people on a Saturday morning, just begging them if they would just serve in Sunday school this the next day. Right. I could we we couldn't it, we were this close from shutting down our Sunday school, mm. and um, and and I you know at that time I was you know I was just getting into the Book of Matthew and that passage that says you know pray that the Lord of the Harvest would raise up workers. Yeah, and and I, I just remember saying to my wife and and uh, and to some other people that were close to us, um, I just said we need to take this serious. We need to pray, and so. And then those people began to engage and invite other people. And and within a matter of two, three years, um, we we started, you know, there wasn't a problem in our, mm. our in our children's ministry anymore. In fact, we went from as as the years went on, we went from one service to two to three to four to five services, and we had them all fully staffed. Mm. And that was all a result of a prayer. Mm. Like, I am so convinced of it. So now God did a few things. Like, okay, so we laid a foundation of prayer. The other thing that happened during this era of grounding was that he prepared our leaders. And I just told the story of, like, I really believe it was a defining moment when those leaders made a decision. They came to a point of brokenness, a point of humility, and just said, we don't have the answers. Mm. And they humbled themselves and they said, we need to pray. And every Sunday an hour and a half or so before the service, they would gather in our old church building and wow. they would pray for wow. that service and for our church. And I believe that glorifies God when we do that, mm. when we stop. You know, even now I tell our board, when we stop and we honor him through prayer, you know, that means something. You know, right now the board, every Friday afternoon, uh, we we have a, we all get on a call and um, we, uh, a Friday afternoon at 4.30, Wow. And we will pray for a half an hour. Hmm. And just, you know, they're, they're praying for me, and partially this came out of my own health situation. But we're praying for the church, we're praying for That's the beautiful. staff, and so forth. We just stop, and we say, and when you stop, when you stop as an individual, and you say, we're going to pray. When you stop as a board, and you pray, yeah. you know, God, I just know it glorifies him. Mm. It means the world to him. So, so that was something. The other thing is, of course, God did something in me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I prior to coming to Center Street, I'd been diagnosed with cancer, a very serious form of cancer, and 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 so I'm a year into being senior pastor. How and old are you at the time? Right. At the time, uh, I would have been in my early 30s, 31 okay. maybe. Married? Do you have kids at the time? I had four young sons. Okay, so that's 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 like a lot to process like a church to lead family kids and health yeah wow it was very heavy and um uh you know a very a time you know i mean i look back on it now god took my relationship with him to another whole level hmm. and um uh of just another level of trust and and relationship and intimacy and um anyways um uh when when that when the news got out to the church, um, uh, you know, almost on a spontaneous basis, we don't know. I don't know how it all happened, but this congregation that and remember this is a year into being senior pastor. 
um, this congregation got together on a Sunday night, and and pretty much everybody showed up, mm-hmm. and they prayed their hearts out. Wow. And and I look back on that. God did something, not only in me, He did something in our board, He did something in our church that that um, there is no way that we could have orchestrated that. Mm. He was at work, and so so then I become you know I remember the very first Sunday that I'm up speaking, and something happened while I was speaking, and uh, trust me, this doesn't happen hardly ever. But as I'm speaking, there is a moment in time, it probably was the equivalent of a snap of the finger, but it was very real. And that was, um, I, I, I sense God say, I'm going to bless this place. Mm. And then I felt um, it was like a blanket being lifted off the church and the sun just pouring into the place. And that all happened in an instant. And I think maybe I took a breath during that time and just kept preaching. At the end of it all, I'm thinking, as I, as I, as I thought about it after, I thought, ah, probably just youthful exuberance, you know, mm-hmm. just my first Sunday preaching, mm-hmm. you know what, you know. Well, I get in the car and I decide I'm going to share this with Gwen. So I just told her. And she looked at me and she said, I had exactly the same experience. So we knew God was up to something. Hmm. So some of these things were beginning to happen. When I look back on it now, it just absolutely blows me away, um, you know, what what God was doing. He, he was preparing the church leadership. He was preparing me. And, um, and what I saw in that, you know, there's a lesson that came out of that. I God... Um, he will use our collective brokenness and weakness. He will even use things like illness and so forth to prepare us for the harvest mm. that he's bringing. We, we need to see these things in the long run. Yeah. And I would say the same thing even now when we look at, you know, we're kind of dragging ourselves out of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and all the dynamics that are going on. There's a part of me that is absolutely convinced. I just said this to our senior leadership team the other day. I believe to the core of my being, God is preparing us. This is a, a time of pruning. This is a time of all kinds of things he's doing, but he is preparing for something greater. Mm. And I have called our church um, to, to, um, uh, to prayer again. Wow. Like, I feel we've come full circle. Mm. We're doing way much better as a church than we were back then. However, at the very core, yeah. um, it's interesting. We have needs in the area of, of uh, workers and children's ministry. Mm. You know, uh, uh, we're, we're not even at 50% of our workers we had prior to. And yet, we've got people coming. You know, this last year, over 1,000 people showing up at one of our campuses, well, together at our campuses, um, and we're managing, yeah. but we need, and so, again, it's just like I sense the Lord saying, you know, we, we need to get onto our, hmm. our knees again. We need to be crying out to Him, you know, and, and so, so that's what was going on back then, and, and the way I describe what happened after that, and trust me, we had seasons of challenge, hmm. you know, this was not glassy seas. I, you know, 
there were still, oh my goodness, all kinds of hard, hard decisions and hard and difficult times. But generally speaking, if I look back over the last 30 years, what I felt like, the way I've described it to people, is I felt like I was in a canoe and I was um, paddling downstream. Hmm. And even when I didn't paddle, even when I wasn't intentional, strategic, or purpose-driven, hmm. the force of God's Spirit just kept pushing not only me, but our church forward hmm. and did things far beyond I could ever imagine. Hmm. Blew me away, blew us away. You know, the, the thousands, literally thousands of people have come to faith in Christ over hmm. the years is, is mind-boggling to me. And, um, and, and I, you know, in the early years, I felt like I was in that canoe and I was paddling upstream. Hmm. And every stroke I took, I felt like we were, we were falling back, you know, yeah. twice the distance. Yeah. It's just so hard. And what I just shared to our senior leadership team again is I'm feeling like the canoe has shifted a bit and I'm, I'm, I'm paddling harder than I have in a mm. long time. Mm. And I believe that we are in a difficult season right now. Mm. But, but, you know, the God that was faithful, yeah. man, he's up to something. I really believe that. Yeah. I, I just want to relay back to you and what I experience as a younger pastor right now, like to hear you testify of God's faithfulness, him building the church. Um, it's just strengthening for me, you know? And um, and then I think about what it looks like. You know, I think we're, you know, I'm part of a church plant. And so you have that, we have that desperation. Like, are we going to make it? So you, we pray a lot, you know? And I hear how you're stuck. And, and just like, how do you keep through those years where it feels like, man, there's the spirit's moving. The, there's wind of the spirit and so it feels like momentum, you know. W what does it look like to continue in a posture of desperation? Because that's the challenge, right? It's like things get good, God blesses, and but then to stay in that posture of dependency, sometimes in the hardest season, I kind of go, Lord, like I don't want to be in a hard season, but you kind of cherish it because that new intimacy that comes through dependency. And I just wonder as you reflect back, like how do you keep that posture of dependency when the circumstances don't necessitate it or seemingly don't necessitate it. I think we've, what you've just described is a little bit of what we've gone through, what I would say is the last 10 years, um, where, yeah, we have a lot of resources, um, you know, our people pretty committed and, and, uh, and everything else. And um, it's been probably a little bit more of the challenging part you know you kind of feel like canoes turning a bit mm. and and so forth um you know uh the i i go back to revelation to uh where jesus says you've lost your first love and then he gives the formula if you think of a formula but he says you know um consider how how far you've fallen and and so that means through the word um, you know, you need to remind yourself, but you also need to remind your people to consider how far they've fallen, hmm. how far have we fallen. We need to be sensitive to that. 
and um, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the area of our love for Him, our dependence on Him, our intimacy. And then He says, "Repent." Hmm. And then He says, "Do what you did at first. So, you know, always a reminder of the mission that He's called us to. Always a reminder that we, you know, even when you don't always have the passion as you did at first, you just keep doing what mm. you did at first. And the passion sort of comes mm. as you do. Yeah. And, uh, but that is the task of leadership. You know, the thing that I struggle with, uh, you know, and it struggled with it through my ministry. I remember, you know, the, the early days of vision casting and so forth. I just... Man, I could hardly contain myself. It was so, I just did it with such passion. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, everyone's heard it already. Mm -hmm. And you have to force yourself to keep repeating the vision, to keep reminding the people what really matters. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. Yeah. When, you know, the lion's share of the people that are listening to you are going, heard this one already. Mm -hmm. And your temptation is to stop it. But yeah. no. You have to keep doing that, you know, to keep putting that foot in front of the other and what really matters. Hmm. So you described that season of grounding and I feel like we began to hear about that season of growth. Take us back into that, those, those eras that the church experienced. Yeah, the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the area of, of growth, there was a time when you, 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 you know, you, you felt like we were just really stuck. And then all of a sudden, uh, we're trying to find space. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to deal with, you know, the people who are coming to us and so forth. And we would, you know, literally spent decades. Um, and I remember periods of time where the staff were fighting for space, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 uh, and we, we had the crummiest facilities. It was just the crummiest facilities, and 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 yet people just kept coming. I, I remember when we finished our first um, our first uh, 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 building um, uh, add-on building. Um, the uh, the balcony could seat three hundred people, but the city wouldn't allow us to use it because we didn't have enough parking. Hmm. So people, they just kept coming anyways. Mm. You see, this is part of what I'm saying. Like you, you know, we didn't advertise. We didn't do anything. Mm. But people just kept coming. And literally, 300 people would sit in the balcony, sitting on the floor of the balcony, just looking over the barrier, just mm. barely looking over the barrier, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Wow. Um, in five services. Mm. It just, you know, when... When God wants to do something, He just does it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, you know, got into some of the, I mean, it was something that you celebrate, but it was also, we spent, you know, countless hours trying to figure out how do we make room for what God's doing. Mm -hmm. um, you guys have been marked by generosity. And I've, I just, it's, it's one of the things that I admire among other things, but so much about Center Street is just a commitment to global missions, a commitment to serving others, to investing in other churches, church planting. Um, was that in the DNA of the church or was that something that as a team, like a leadership team, you had to kind of cultivate? Tell me about the journey of generosity and 
and what that part has played in the story of Center Street? Yeah, the um, one of the things you see through Scripture, and actually if you do a study uh, historically of societies, societies go through a cycle. Hmm. And uh, Alexander Teitler, he was, a, he was a sociologist, I believe, uh, at Harvard. He he did um, he did a study of, of of what happens in society, and and typically a society, a, a new society. Think, think of even the formation of when settlers came to the new world. You know, they expressed great courage, and they also expressed great creativity, and all of that led to a element of prosperity. Hmm. And so there was this major upswing in terms of uh, this courage being expressed, this creativity being expressed, and so forth, which l resulted in prosperity. But historically, if you look at every society, what, what um, Tytler says is that what he observed is that uh, the next thing that would begin to happen was begin to um, uh, a movement towards selfishness. Hmm. And he said, if you go all the way around the circle, so to speak, what happens is the courage was expressed to break free either from religious bondage or, um, you know, some kind of political bondage. And so in a society, you know, um, you, you would see, again, this courage, creativity, uh, but then it would start moving towards selfishness mm. and then dependence on the state. Right. right back into total bondage. Like that selfishness and dependence kills creativity. It's the opposite of courageous leadership. Exactly. Mm. And prosperity and abundance, mm. you know. So, I mean, that's just looking at it, you know, uh, from a very uh, sociological perspective. So, I took that and I went into the Old Testament. Mm. And I looked at the scriptures and looked at what happened to the state of Israel. Mm. And you see that cycle again and again. Wow. Where, where basically I think of judges and once again, children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And basically, the more they became selfish, the more God had to call them back. Mm. And, and, and his, um, you know, his blessing on them uh, was withheld. And so, when, when, I, when I began to look at that and I said, you know, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what's next for Center Street? Um, that's the word that came, mm. was generosity. Uh, and I told our church, when I did a State of the Church address on this, I said, if we get ingrown, if it's only about Center Street, we're going to start declining. Mm. It has to be, you know, we need to be going outward. Mm. So we, we, at that point, even practically here in the city, uh, we moved out into re uh, did regionals, but we we also very aggressively began to either plant or partner with churches all over the world mm. with agencies. Um, you know, uh, we have um, we have churches across Canada that we're supporting. You know, church plants and so forth that we have a relationship with. Um, Altogether, we have over 200 hmm. uh, churches and church plants um, that we are um, active praying for and supporting. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so that's just that's just part that's of beautiful. what we felt. And then we also 
you know, we now have um, the New Canadian Friendship Center, which What's is that? it is a a center that is strictly devoted to new Canadians that come mm. to this city. Yeah, that need help uh, learning language. We have ESL classes we teach, um, but we also provide um, we serve them, we support them in any way we can to help them to adjust yeah. to being in Canada, help them to figure out how they can do up their resumes and mm. et cetera, et cetera. So, you know. That um, is a ministry that's now been going on for about 10 years. Wow. And we have a compassion ministry, which right now is serving um, and supporting over 3,000 people a month uh, that, that come to us looking wow. either for food uh, or for, you know, some kind of help and hmm. so forth. So, you know, again, part of that generosity um, that we're trying to make happen. Hmm. In a culture where especially today people are skeptical of the church and money what advice could you give us about cultivating generosity in the hearts of our people like it's such an essential part of our discipleship and formation but there is a sense of like it's almost like we start apologizing the moment we talk about money or and you've seen people get it wrong you know teach a gospel that's not the gospel or promising they can't deliver or play on emotions. And we don't want that, um, but it's such an essential part of people's discipleship, our own discipleship, and such an opportunity to have an impact. Just what have you learned or what could you share that would help as we think about appealing to our congregation, bringing them on that journey of generosity? I, I, I really believe that most people, most Christians do not understand what the Bible says about generosity and about stewardship and it is one of the hardest subjects to speak on because you know there's going to be people that get really upset about it mm -hmm. what i've discovered is the people that celebrate those messages on stewardship and generosity are the generous people mm. and the people that get upset are the ones typically who aren't and uh, and and so, but you have to again, like, like even what we were talking about previously, you have to step out, mm -hmm. and you got to do what God calls you to do. And mm -hmm. so, I've probably, um, you know, over the years, uh, you know, every two years, every three years, uh, I will do a series. And the thing that blows me away is people come to me and will say to me. You know, I, if I was to use like three words, they, they look at me and they say, I never knew. Mm. I never thought about the fact that God owns it all. Mm. He does. And, and, and just the different principles that they yeah. learn. And, um, uh, you know, as a result, I mean, when COVID hit, I mean, I took a deep breath. We all took a deep yeah. breath. Uh, the verse, first Sunday, we saw a 40% drop in giving, but that's partially, we found out later, it was just people didn't know what to do. Right. They didn't know where to go and where sure. to give, but we said, we said, oh, no, what yeah. is this going to mean? But, you know, like as of as we speak today, you know, we're, we're at 100% of our budget, hmm. and, and God's been faithful that way. Um, but I believe it's because, uh, you know, a, a significant percentage of our people understand God's teaching on on um, on generosity hmm. 
and and that it's not just giving yeah. of money, but the giving of time and the giving of talents and so forth. Mm. But I I would say if there is one thing you know is build up the courage, do the work, study thoroughly and so forth. But you know speak on um, on on the area of stewardship and generosity. Inform your people of what God's word says, mm. and um, uh, it, it it can be life changing for people. You know these buildings that we have. I mean, you know, I, I think of 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 one of our um, of one of our elders who's actually was a mentor is a mentor of mine mm. for years. So when we did the very first building program, um, and he's generous, but he he said to me he says you know i think you and i should meet and we should meet once a week and we need to pray about this because he said pastor i i just got to be honest with you i don't think we're going to pull this off hmm. so when we did i saw this six foot five guy you know just weep hmm. and just said you know my faith has been so strengthened the second time through he was a champion a champion for the mm -hmm. building and so forth and said we can do this yeah god was faithful then he's faithful now mm -hmm. and when we did this last one even more so mm -hmm. and and he's in his 80s now wow but just we can do this yeah and i just go god can even use something as brick and mortar yeah to build faith mm -hmm. you know something you know and and um and so, anyways, that that just I really appreciate you know, that. Yeah, you know. I wonder. Um, you know, we chat about this before we started recording, but I think something's been galvanized in my mind and heart just as we've been chatting. I think one of the needs of our time we talked about dependency is courageous leadership, especially as the winds of culture feel less favorable, maybe to some of the the way of the church and you know the church has always thrived most historically when they weren't in like favor or with the general culture around but i think we feel it right now this feeling of like shifting tides and i think i think the call to courage the leader is maybe a now word and um one of the things i just so appreciate about what you're sharing is like the way in which remembering god's faithfulness can bolster courage to step out again into that unknown and we'd just love to hear any reflections you have as you think about your leadership of around courage and finding the courage to to go to new places to take risks to try to obey what god is saying even when you're not you know all of us are like yeah, i think god's leading us here but we don't hear from like we wish we just had a, the clear message in the sky but oftentimes it's like we're seen thinly okay i think god's taking us here and we just love to know as you look back on your leadership journey and even what you're leading the church to now um what that relationship to a courageous leadership has been in in your own walk with god i think what's key to that you know again um and i've, I've talked about it a lot so i won't i won't go there again but prayer really matters mm -hmm. um you know when you when you offload things to the Lord, uh, you know you can rest at night. The second thing is surrender really matters. 
uh, full surrender. Hmm. Um, it gives you victory when you surrender. You know, there's a little saying, he that is on the floor cannot fall. Hmm. And there's something about that um, that is very, very true. And when I think about he who is on the floor, I'm thinking about a person who's fully surrendered to God, right? Mm -hmm. When you fully surrender to God, you know, it, it, it helps you to overcome fear. Mm. It helps you deal with inadequacies that you have. All those things that get in the way of you expressing courage, mm. right? The key is surrender. Uh, a close relationship with the Lord really matters. Um, you know, making sure that you've heard from the Lord, that you, you have an op open channel mm. to the Lord. Um, you know, again, we know that Jesus went away by himself to be with his Father, to get his instructions. Why would we think that our, our pattern in life should be any different? Mm. And so to go to him, and, and, you know, I've had a, you know, for 35 plus years, um, I went to my board, um, um, let me see, well, many years ago, <laughs> probably about 10 years into it, I think, 10, 12 years into it. But, but, I, but I asked them for my summers off. Hmm. And, and I, you know, I was committed to uh, obviously taking time, be vacation with my family, but also to kind of study time to prepare for the next season of, of speaking, preaching through the word. And the third thing uh, was to really hear from God. Hmm. And that's when I really got uh, clarity in, in terms of uh, what I believe God was saying about the next step where we need to go. Mm. I would run that past our board. I'd run it past our staff. I'd run it past a bunch of people before I would even go public with it. But everyone sort of began to know Henry's been sort of to the mountains mm. and and he'll be coming back with something. Mm. And 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 that to me was is really important. It's important to... Uh, you know, vision casting and everything else. And one of the things when I talk about a close relationship with the Lord that concerns me right now um, is I, I'm sensing that um, there's a distance from God. I went through a spell of several months uh, where, um, you know, in a very subtle way, I sort of woke up one day and realized that I wasn't being drawn to the Lord the way I was used to being drawn to Him, and mm. I was trying to figure out what it was. Well, the short version is is that when we were locked down, uh, you know, that relational gap was filled. Someone suggested, "Hey, you should watch this series on Netflix," mm. and we began to watch a series. And you know how that draws you in, and pretty soon you're looking forward to the next next, you know. And we started out by saying. You know, one one episode a night. Well, you know, pretty soon it was two episodes. Then it was three episodes. Oh, yeah. I've and been so there, Henry. <laughs> so, so that's one thing I've noticed. Yeah. Okay. The second thing I've noticed is that, you know, uh, the amount of time I was beginning to spend during that season of time on my phone, mm. uh, social media and everything else. Yeah. And the news cycle in that time, I remember like, even right when COVID started, checking the count. And it felt like, it felt actually important. I need to be in the loop. 
But then I found myself needing to delete all those news apps because it stopped being about, well, it just became a whole other thing. Yeah. Just a cycle of content and, um, and heightened anxiety that was like self-medicated through more dopamine hits through the phone. Like that whole cycle was just brutal. Totally. And, and you know, when I look at it, I think that there was, I think there was some hidden anxiety that was going on inside of me. Like just, where is this all going? Yeah. You know, how do I lead this church? Now it's basically, we're all online. Uh, you know, this is during that season in particular. And I, I, you know, and so I think this may have been a little bit of an escape, you know, just, you know, trying to decompress a little bit, mm. you know, but, but I, I woke up one day to realize, you know, that I wasn't grabbing the Bible first thing. I was grabbing the phone. Mm. And and I remember even like our community group meeting on Zoom. But, you know, looking forward to it ending because I wanted to catch one more, whether it was a hockey game or I wanted to catch one more uh, episode of whatever. Mm. And, and I realized, and so did Gwen, like we realized what was happening. And I bring that all up to, to just say that that is where Satan wants us. Mm. He wants us tied up in social media. He wants us tied up in entertainment and everything else. Because if he can block, right? Uh, you know, uh, the the uh, and create a distance between us and God, so we no longer really hear him. Mm. Then, as a result, particularly as leaders, we're 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 leading without him, mm. and that's what he wants. Mm. And so, uh, you know, a close relationship with God and guarding that mm. is huge. And it takes discipline, trust me, to get out of that cycle. You know, you know, they say 30 days of doing something, you pretty much have a habit. Yeah. So 90 days, 120 days, plus a whole bunch of other days when you either had COVID or think you have COVID yeah. or you were near somebody had COVID, you're always isolating, isolating, isolating. Yeah. During all of those periods of time, you develop this habit pattern mm. and that that gets you and it actually creates a spiritual lethargy as well. Mm. Like there's so many of these things that are going on. And of course, for me, I said to Gwen, I, I said one day, I wonder what's happening with our people. Yeah. Well, about a year ago, a fellow came up to me after a service. And he was responding to something in the message and he said, you know, he says, I've got no time and I'm too tired to um, cultivate my relationship with God or to serve or anything. And then he went on, he says, you know, being totally transparent with you, the reason I don't have time is because all of my free time outside of work is being spent on Netflix mm. or Amazon Prime or going through my phone. And when he was done telling me that, I thought, wow, what we were experiencing I think this is this is more, this is happening out there a whole lot more mm. than we think. Yeah. So it was a wake up call, yeah. you know, for me, and and that is what Satan. I, I have no question the devil wants us there. Mm. So um, you did a like a, a, it sounds like you do an annual kind of appeal to the church, state of the church, and you mentioned that recently you kind of identified actually three things. One of those is like enemy tries to create distance. But what were the other two you mentioned? Because I found them really insightful. Yeah. Distance from God. The second one is division among Christians. Mm. And of course, 
all the COVID protocols and everything that, you know, we were just, you know, so saddened to hear of families even yeah. that were divided over this. And we're, some weren't even talking to each other. Yeah. Some of our small groups, there was division. Mm-hmm. Like to, they stopped meeting because of this yeah. and so forth. And, you know, they, and then the third thing is, is distraction mm. uh, from the mission. Don't lose sight of what Jesus has called us to do. Mm. And he's called us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's called us to love one another, and he's called us to love others. Mm. And we need to stay focused on those things. Yeah, yeah. You've got this unique opportunity to look at decades of ministry in a single place. And in some ways, I know we've already talked about this, but, and, I don't want anyone listening to think that everyone should have to feel any pressure to be in one spot. I think God has different gifts. Some people are pioneers and they can plant and establish. But I think faithfulness is something that um, we need to keep chatting about. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to chat with you is because you represent to me faithfulness and one of some of the fruit of faithfulness. You know, it's like, I just would love to hear you reflect on the gifts of being in a place for as long as you have been. I mean, there's certain gifts that come when you got, you talked about an elder that was there, you know, close to the beginning and like, what happens when you're in a certain spot for a number of decades in terms of trust? You talked about some of the challenges already of like, you have to reinvigorate the vision. You got to, you know, call that. But what are some of the gifts of that longevity? Well, you know, you know, I think of families that, um, you know, they started out as young adults in my young adult group. You know, I did their wedding. Yeah, I wanted to ask, is anyone from the youth and young adults still around? Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. You know, and, and you know, you do their wedding, and then they have children. And then you dedicate the children. And then sometimes you do the wedding of the children. And then, you know, there's also crisis along the way. Yeah. And there's death along the way, but you 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 do life with these people, and um, you know some of those things are are absolutely you know uh, they're so meaningful. Um, you see a woman uh, that attended our church for the better part of twenty years by herself, praying for her husband, and then her husband one day shows up, and his testimony because he's since come to Christ. But his testimony is when he walked into the building, his knees buckled. Hmm. And, you know, Spirit of God got a hold of him. He committed his life to Christ. And, and, um, and you see the fruit of those prayers and, you know, the times that she would come to the altar and we'd pray together. Hmm. And, and, and now her husband, you know, loves Jesus and, in fact, she just passed away here recently, and he's, he is, he just shares Jesus with everybody he knows. Wow. So, those kind of things. Um, when you're at the same place for a long time, you know, people that you helped, um, in some cases even financially or, or whatever, you know, they're really in a bad, or you had them stay at your place overnight or whatever. I had this happen a few years ago. Within one year, I had three people come back. We had, you know, I think they all stayed at our place, not together, but 
I can't remember all the, what would it, whatever it was we did for them, but they came back and and you know they they said you know I just wanted you to know I was this person that you 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 prayed with and then you invited us into your home to stay for the night and you know I just want you to know um, you know that was a defining moment in mm -hmm. my life uh, I've since come to Christ and um, wow. uh, I'm following him and I just wanted you to know. Uh, People that left here angry hmm. uh, because something I said in a sermon, or, 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 or and 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 left, and ten years later come back and say the scriptures are right. Hmm. I was wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, just. Those kind of things uh, are um, you never forget, and then mm. you know you you build trust with people, you mm. know, in you know in government and the business community. Uh, you know, they just you just, you're just around so long that, and I've never one of my callings has not been to aggressively, um, you know, get political or even get into the political world, but I I've been available. Uh, I have had conversations with people of influence uh, at at times when I felt it was needed, mm. and uh, I've always been respectful and so forth. And I think those relationships have have served the kingdom well. It's got to mean something for whether it's business leaders or not for profit groups or government groups like this. This church, this guy's been here for a long time, and they've been giving things away. We don't really understand a lot of what they do, but they like that's got to create a, a kind of trust that we probably rarely get to experience. Yeah. It's really special. It is. It is. Um, if you could go back in time and speak to a younger version of yourself, maybe in those first five years of ministry as lead pastor, what would you most want for him to know deeply? Um, calling really matters. Hmm. Um, I'm old school in this, but for me, um, I went through a major battle when it came to God's call. My dad, when I was 16, was very well off you know before he died he lost everything mm. i want to bring that in perspective but he was very well off when i was 16. and i was his only son and he had a wonderful plan for my life and it was for me to take over his business and when you're a 16 year old and you're kind of thinking about your future and you see this wealth and you see all this opportunity, um, and then suddenly God calls you to ministry, mm. and you have to make a decision that will, aff will affect the trajectory of your life completely in a different direction. Uh, that was not easy, and I battled with that for two years, and finally I knew that God was calling me to do this. Yeah. And I remember going to my dad and telling him, and not only the disappointment on his face, but he, um, 
you know, he was angry. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was Christian, yeah. but he was angry. Hmm. And, uh, but for me, uh, when God calls you to something, it's, it's not, um, you don't have the kind of attitude that says, you know, um, well, you know, yeah, I'll do this if, or um, uh, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. It's a call to be all in. Hmm. And a word I would have, I guess, to younger pastors is, I'm also called to be a husband and a father. Um, but what I encourage young pastors, and, and you refer to me being a young, younger self, I went through a battle that I could tell you another whole bunch of stories about, but I went through a real battle. Um, you know, I remember sitting down with my boys during my summer break and saying, son, if you're going to walk away from the Lord and the church because I'm all in with the church, I said, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the Lord. I'm going to find something else. Like, I, I can't sacrifice you. On the, I, I need to know, you know, uh, are you okay with, with my call and us doing what we're doing? And they came back to me and said, Dad, we, wouldn't, we couldn't think of anything better to do mm. than this. You know, keep on keeping on. We're with you all the way. I needed that because yeah. at that time, the paradigm that I had in my mind was church versus home. Or family, and 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 then, um, you know, uh, for a while, you know, as Gwen and I talked about this, we went church, we went family and church. We kind of had that paradigm, okay? Family, we're going to add the church to this. That didn't work either. Mm. It wasn't until we got to the place where it was family on mission. Mm. It wasn't family versus mission. It wasn't family and mission. It was family on mission, where we together as a family began to um, uh, uh, follow the call that God has for us, but also for his church. And, uh, and that was life-changing for me. Mm. You know, what I discovered is God doesn't want to be in competition <clears throat> with my ministry, my church, or anything. No, he wants to be at the center of everything. And so I, when I, when I finally realized that, I began to say, okay, God, that's a great concept, and now show me what that means. What does it mean for you to be at the center of my time that I spend exercising? Mm. So I'm on my way to play hockey, and I have a bit of a conversation. I'm driving on Barlow. And I have conversations with the Lord, and the Lord says, do you see the guys that you play with? Because half of them aren't Christians. Do you see those guys as just the competition you're going to be playing against tonight? Or do you see them as people that need the Lord? Mm. Totally transformed that time. I ended up inviting those guys to be part of a morning study once every two weeks, and a number of them came to Jesus Christ. Wow. But that's what bringing God into your recreation or into your hockey or whatever it is, what that means. Mm -hmm. 
what does it mean to for for Jesus to be at the center of our family? Mm. And so we as a family began to pray for our neighbors, and we began to strategically invite. We had a, a couple next door with two young boys. We we were you know because one day she said to Gwen, my wife, you know you've got four boys and. We just kind of admire your boys. Like, what are you doing? And we just need to know what you guys believe. And we want to raise our kids this way. So Gwen says, come on over. Hmm. And so they came over. And we were going to share the, the Lord that night. The boys, they took their boys downstairs. They babysat them while they knew we were sharing upstairs. Hmm. Two weeks later, she commits her life to Christ. Hmm. And when she did that... <coughs> When she did that, I still remember the picture. When she told the boys and me that, that the gal next door had come to Christ, we literally ran around the island and we were high-fiving each other so because cool. we were a family on mission. That's what Christ has in mind. <clears throat> For years, we shuttled 11 buses from this site that this campus is on now to our previous campus. Our boys would get up at 7 in the morning, whether it was minus 40 or minus 30. They'd be the first here. They'd be parking cars mm. and helping people get to the buses and so forth. We just did everything together. Mm. That changed everything. It was a game changer for me. Mm. You know, it wasn't me against family. It wasn't mission against family. It was we were together on mission. It's That's like beautiful. they joined us. And um, I'm grateful I learned that fairly early in my ministry. Yeah. I would say it was about 10 years into my ministry. And it just, it made all the difference. So calling is important in understanding this whole area. Don't make your family, you know, it, don't make it a tension thing between one or the other. Hmm. You know, you will be so miserable, hmm. you know. Character is another thing I would say is huge. Um, be honest. Be a person of integrity. Put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. Uh, walk the talk. Do what you say you will do. Follow through. Bring sin into the light before it becomes a problem. You know, I'm, 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 I'm so saddened by uh, you know a number of incredible church leaders who have fallen because they haven't. I haven't done that. I've, I've, I've talked about surrender a lot, but surrender is absolutely critical. Um, a close walk with God, I've talked about that. Uh, keep learning from others. Mm. And be patient. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Bloom where you're planted. Let God open the doors mm. in His time, in His way. Don't try to break them down yourself. Uh, or don't quit when you find that you know that um, you know you're 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 not receiving the accolades or the or the recognition or the mm. promotion or the perks uh, or that you weren't consulted you know mm. like those those are all little tools that the devil loves to use to just get you out of the action. Mm. And to miss God's best for you, you know. I, you know, what I can, can what I want to tell younger pastors is, 
you know, one way to know whether your um, whether your heart's in the right place is is the amount of um, grumbling, whining, uh, blaming, negative talk, uh, feelings of entitlement that are there. Mm. When you see that in your spirit and everything else, something's not right. Mm. It's still too much about you. There's a surrender issue there. Mm. You got to let go. Oh, I really appreciate that. You know, Henry, I just, well, let me just say this. Is there anything else on your heart today that you wanted to share? Because I think I've used more of your time than we even committed to. And, um, but before we sign off, is there anything that's most on your heart that you want to pass along to our listeners? I, you know, I, I would say that the man, you know, <laughs> Um, okay, two things. One is preaching faithfully through the Word of God. This, again, is an issue of surrender. But God's Word, empowered by His Spirit, is the only thing that can change a heart. And um, it's not going to be my personal antics or my ability to tell stories or anything. It's his, the work of his spirit that will transform a life. Mm. And we need to believe that when we preach. And we need to leave it with the Lord um, when we preach. But we need to believe to, our core, uh, to the core of our being that God, um, that his word will not go void. And uh, we just need to trust him to do his work. Um, so that's just one thing I want to say. The second thing is, is that, um, you know, after 40 plus years of this, as a general principle, I have no regrets. Mm. I wouldn't want to live my life any other way. Um, it's been rich. And... Um, and it's not over <laughs> as long as God gives me breath you know my role may change a little bit in our church in the next few years but um, but um, my mission isn't changing hmm. um, I um Yeah, you just won't regret if you if you you know if you're faithful to your calling, if you surrender to the Lord, you stay close to Him, you do what He tells you to do, and just put one foot in front of the other. You persevere. Um, the day is going to come. You're going to look back and say, "No regrets, man. Wow. This has been an awesome journey." Mm. And that's what I would want to say to those that are, you know starting out in their ministries. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to thank you for making time to be with us today, letting us into your office and having this conversation. And I really just want to honor you for being a champion of the local church in Canada, for giving courage, support to young pastors like myself. Thanks for setting an example. Thanks for being faithful in prayer. 
honor you guys for your faithfulness and mission and generosity and love for the city, for the cities of Canada and around the world. And yeah, I'm really grateful for you, man. Thank you. It's been an honor and privilege. Thank you. Well, Henry, thank you for sitting down to share with us and we honor you for your commitment to the local church and how faithful you've been to the call of God on your life. What an example you've set. Before we go, I wanna express gratitude to a few people who helped make this episode happen. Thank you to Jeanette Donaldson and Josh Thompson for arranging the interview with Henry, Jason for facilitating the conversation, to Will Lee for producing the episode, and to the whole team at Center Street for welcoming us in. The Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is one amongst a few things that we do at CCLN to strengthen and come alongside pastors in Canada. And these episodes and the work we do beyond them through our different gatherings, learning communities, and resources are all made possible by a generous community of individuals, pastors, churches, and organizations who believe in the work of serving pastors. If that is something that you want to personally get behind, we'd love for you to join our giving community at ccln.ca slash give through a one-time or regular donation. And if you're a pastor who has benefited in some way, shape, or form from our work at CCLN, we want to invite you and your church to partner with us. You can find out more about what that looks like at ccln.ca slash church partners. Thanks for considering becoming a part of this community that's lifting up pastors across our nation. As we close this episode today, I'm reminded again through Henry's example that there are longtime faithful pastors in our midst who are deeply committed to the church and finishing well and still in love with Jesus. I hope your imagination was captured in this conversation by the possibility of this being your legacy as well. We bless you as you go into another week of serving Jesus and his church. Bye for now.